If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise be to God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. 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 I'm so thankful for everybody joining me today in Gospel Saving Church and not not just here in our beautiful home in McKinney, Texas, but I also want to thank everybody on YouTube who's joining in our first YouTube uh, service ever. And I also want to thank everybody that's joining us from SoundCloud we have listeners on SoundCloud all over the world, and Germany and other parts of the world, Brazil. And I want to thank you guys, wherever you're coming from, listening or watching Gospel Saving Church. And hi, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Welcome. Welcome. So we're going to pray and get our service going. And then we're going to start our message. And praise be to God. Let's rock and roll. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, and we get going and ask for the Lord's anointing on the service. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you, for, thank you so much for your love. and Thank you so much for your grace that you pour out upon all mankind. It's continual, Lord God, until we die. We have until we die to receive any, anything that you have to offer, Lord. All your grace and all your mercy, Lord. And then once we die, whatever we've chosen while we were alive, Lord, then that's what we've got. And that's what we have for forever. Lord, I just, Lord. Jesus, help us, Lord God, to receive your grace now. And Lord, help us to stand before you, not as judge, but as our great king, as, as our daddy, as our heavenly father, Lord, when we stand before you on that great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of judgment, Lord. We Anyway, we, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We ask, Lord God, for your anointing on this service. <clears throat> we ask, Lord God, that you would open our hearts and open our minds and open our souls, dear God, to your word today. Lord, because there's only one thing we can trust in this world. We can't trust ourselves, and Lord, we can't trust one another, and we can't trust our governments, and Lord, we certainly can't trust this world's economy or anything like that, Lord. We can't trust any of those things, Lord. We can only trust in Jesus Christ and in your holy word. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we would continually put our trust in you and your holy word and just look to your word as the instrument that tells us where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do, Lord God, and nothing else. 
We love you and we praise you, Lord. We just ask that you just be here and show up today, Lord, in a powerful way. And teach us, Lord. And Lord, bless the message. Bless us as we listen, Lord. We praise you and thank you, dear God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> we're going to be in the last section of Matthew chapter 11. My Bible titles it, my New King James Version titles it, Jesus Gives True Rest, but we're actually going to, we name our sermon a little different. We're not going to name it that. We're, we're going to name our sermon today, Attitude of the Heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Attitude of the Heart is the name of our message today. So let's read our, our scripture, Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 30, and then we'll go and we're going to teach on it. Join with me if you want to read along with me. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Off topic, off sermon, off my notes, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is one of the most exciting sections of Scripture that I've ever read in my life. Come to me, Jesus says. You could just hear his heart cry in that right there. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I just absolutely love that, that whole, those whole three verses. And I actually get to just teach on them just a little bit today. They're actually going to be our close. So, here we go. Matthew eleven. 25. First of all, as we're jumping into Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, I want to remind everybody, as I had to be reminded even this morning, as God pointed it out to me and showed me, that right here, remember before, look at our context, Jesus still has the multitudes that are around him. He's still standing there with all the multitudes around him, and he's still teaching those multitudes of people. So we have to keep that on our mind, because that opens us up to a tremendous point that God showed me that I have read Matthew, I've read Matthew chapter 11 over probably 25 times or more. Since in essence, Matthew 11, 25, 28 through 30 is one of my most favorite sections of scripture. I've, I might have read this section of scripture over a hundred times. I've been a Christian about 14 years. So I have read this section of scripture over probably a hundred times. And I've never seen this awesome little point that God showed me in this first verse of our section today. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What is this powerful point? I thank you. At this time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father. Remember, Jesus is talking to the multitudes here. And in one moment's time, between Matthew eleven twenty four and Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus turns from talking to the multitudes to talk to his heavenly Father. Just in that instant, right there, 
God said something to him, and Jesus answered his heavenly Father. That is awesome. I mean, it's just awesome. I just love it how God and Jesus worked. I mean, he was always hearing from God. Jesus was always hearing from God, and we didn't get to know every time that Jesus got to talk to God or God was talking to Jesus, because I'm sure God was talking to Jesus all the time as he wants to talk to us, his children, all the time. Are we wanting to listen? Are we wanting to listen? That's the big key. But here, Jesus starts talking to Heavenly Father God. And how do we know Jesus is talking to God? How do we know that he's doing that? How do we know he's not talking to the multitudes? The first five words. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father. He answered and said, I thank you, Father. Well, a person doesn't answer nobody. If nobody says something to you, you don't answer them. And if you're talking to somebody, you address them as who they are, right? If my son says something to me, I'll answer him, yes, son, yes, uh, dad, uh, yes, friend, or brother, or whoever I'm addressing, I'll say their name in the address. Jesus says, I thank you. He answered and said, I thank you, Father. Who was he talking to? He was talking to his Father. The world doesn't say that he was talking to somebody here because it says he answered and said, I thank you, Father. I just saw that and I thought, wow, God blew me away with that one. I, I, I mean, I've read it over. I've read it over hundreds, of, maybe 50 times, 100 times, and I've never seen how subtle it was that Jesus just turned from talking to the multitudes to talking to his heavenly Father. Uh, as I said earlier, God is always wanting to talk to us. He's always desiring to talk to his children. He longs to communicate with people. All the creation testifies of how awesome God is. And all creation testifies. Well, the word testify means to speak. It cries out, talks to, testifies. I testify all the time to people how great Jesus is and how great God is. All creation testifies how good God is or that God is real. All creation, all creation is telling us that God is real. God wants to speak to his children just like he did to Jesus here and just like he does to me. I'll ask God or I'll ask Jesus a question and then moments later or even before I'm done speaking, he'll answer me with some answer. He'll just put it in my mind. Or he'll answer me, <clears throat> I'll look around and I'll see something, whoa, wow, I never saw that before. Or one time I was asking about something and he said, go look at that. This, this last week I was talking to him about something and I was asking for some, some you know, for him to show me something and he said, go look here, Ed. Go look here. And I went there and I was like, whoa, what an awesome answer. God always wants to speak to those that are his. He's actually trying to speak to everybody, not only those that are his, but he's wanting to speak to every, even those that aren't his. He's calling out, Jesus come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He's talking to people. He's talking to people. Come to me, all you. We're going to talk about that later. What does the word all mean? The word all means all, means everyone. Now, the Bible says that we do need to be careful who we're, speak, who we're, who we're listening to because there are many voices out there. 
There are many voices. We have voices in our head. It's called our own mind. They're called our thoughts. That's a voice that we have that we can listen to. We have a voice which is God's. We can hear God's voice because he wants to speak to people. He longs to speak to people. We just need to focus more and try to listen to him. And of course, there's that old dirty devil. He wants to talk to us too. And those are all the condemning thoughts. And those are all the, the, the you know, you're not good enough. And, and those are all, all worthless thoughts. You're worthless. You're nobody. Those are all those, those evil. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. I myself test what I hear. Absolutely. I have this thing called a fleece. I get it from Gideon where he made sure he was making sure he was hearing from God. He laid a fleece out and I've done that, you know, before the Lord, just making sure it was the Lord. I don't want to tempt the Lord. The Bible says it's not good to tempt God, but it is okay to test the word that you hear because first John says, well, my beloved test the spirits. And if you come to find out it's God, we'll praise God. But you know what? Many times it's our own thoughts and it's that dirty devil trying to get in there and try to supplant us and trying to make us go here or do there, or make us go into destruction because that's what he wants from us. He wants us to be destroyed. He doesn't want us to live. God says, I have life for you. The devil says, I want to destroy you. Jesus said, you're, you're the enemy of your soul, walks around, prowling around, looking to, de to devour and destroy people. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to destroy us. So we have to make sure that we're hearing properly that we're hearing from God and not from ourselves and not from that devil. Anyway, moving on. So what does Jesus do? Remember, God says something to him that makes Jesus break out in a prayer. He, he breaks out in what I call here, I titled it, the prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. So let's look at this prayer for a little bit. He just starts out, Jesus starts out, and he starts thanking Heavenly Father. What does he start thanking him for? What do we read? He starts thanking him for hiding these things from the wise and from the prudent and starts and thanks him for revealing them to the babes. And it, it not only was something God wanted to do, but verse 26 for even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight to do that. So not only did God hide these things from the wise and prudent and reveal them to babes, but he also didn't just do it, it was good in his sight to do it. When you hear good in the sight of God to do it, that meant it was pleasurable to God to do that. It, it, it was like, this is what I want to do. It's, that's great. That's what I need to do. It's good in his sight. So what are the these things that Jesus said it's good that the Father hides from the wise and from the prudent. What are the these things that God only wanted to reveal to the babes? Well, if we look contextually, we have our whole Matthew chapter 11. And, you know, remember John the Baptist sends messengers to go ask, you know, Jesus, are you the one? And, uh, you know, Jesus gives some prophecy about John. But remember, we get to there, we get, we had that, our parallel passage in Luke for Matthew 11, like, you know, 14 through 19, where the Pharisees came in and they were like, they were like, you know, they condemned, they, many of them didn't believe. And so Jesus starts answering them in the end of Matthew 11, 18, 19, you know, or 17 and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance and we mourned you and you did not lament. He was answering that. He was giving that, 
that, that phrase because they had condemned, they had not believed. So remember, Jesus said that in response to their unbelief. So Jesus was rebuking them. And, you know, for John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Matthew eleven twenty, he turns into, woe to unrepentant cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, region of Galilee. For this is where I did all my great works, and you did not repent. So what are the, these things that he's telling, that he's thanking the Father that God has hidden from? The fact that he's hidden that Jesus Christ was the Savior because they didn't repent. They couldn't see that Jesus Christ was the Savior. They couldn't see it, that he was Messiah. So you might be saying, what? Excuse me? God was hiding his salvation from the wise and prudent? That means Jesus was thanking God for hiding his salvation from these people. What? Doesn't 1 Timothy say 2, 3-4 in the context of praying for all men? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, For God is not slack concerning his promises, but it is not slack toward us, for God desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. But you say here, Pastor Ed, you must be wrong, Pastor Ed. Because why would God hide these things from these people? This, this, either you're wrong or this has got to be a contradiction. Either way, you're, you're wrong. Because God wants everybody to be saved. Or maybe we could just say that Paul was wrong. Maybe Paul in his, you know, in his Timothy to Timothy where he wrote, you know, God desires all men to be saved. Maybe he was wrong. Ed, I'm, Pastor Ed, I'm getting confused. Is there, I don't know, what, what are you saying here? God, God's hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and yet, yet he wants all to be saved? Well, I'll explain. There is no contradiction, because the Bible does not have any contradictions. God does desire for all men to be saved, but he, al but he did. He also, this is also true, that he did and he still does, and he still will hide his salvation. He will still hide Jesus Christ and him being the Savior from people. And he's done it before, and he'll do it again. You say, how could this be true? How could a loving God hide his salvation of Christ Jesus from people? Isn't God then just taking away people's choice? Isn't God then saying that people lose their choice? You wise and prudent? No. I won't allow you to get saved. No. Be gone from me. You're out of here. You say, how could a loving God do that? I will, I will explain. But before I do, always just remember, God is never to blame. Because it is true that these things was God hiding his salvation from the wise and prudent people. It is true. Absolutely. But don't be so blame or don't be so quick to judge God for doing this because he has a really, really, really good reason. And no, God does not send anybody to hell. Absolutely. People send themselves to hell. And that's the truth. There's a factor that we cannot miss here. There's a factor, a huge factor that we can't just, just dismiss away where we say, oh, that just doesn't matter because if we dis dismiss this factor, 
then yes, God is this brutal beast of a God and where he just desires, I'm just going to send all people to hell just because I want to. And what is that factor? The factor is the people. The factor is the attitude of the wise and prudent-hearted people. We cannot dismiss them being the factor. We have three groups of people that Jesus is telling us about here. What are the three groups of people? Wise, that's one group. Prudent, that's another group. And babes, that's the third group. Let's look at these groups and let's break them down. First, the wise and the prudent group. Let's look at them. First, we have the wise group. Okay? Greek word is sophos or sapos. And the defi it's defined as wise, skilled in letters, cultivated, learned, of the Greek philosophers and orators, of Jewish theologians. That's the definition. So when you think of what Jesus is talking about here, the wise person that he's talking about here is a, theolog is a, a, is a theological type person. He's a theologian, which means he's very, very wise in the scriptures. Or a Greek philosopher which uh, you, they know a lot of philosophical things, a lot of ancient writings. They're very wise and learned in those things. Very learned person. Next, we have the prudent, or a Greek word, senitos, or sentos, defined as in intelligent, or you could say intellectual, having understanding, wise, being learned. So those are the two groups. Those are the first two groups we're going to look at first. So why would God hide the fact of Jesus Christ and his salvation from wise and prudent people? Hence, because really what he's doing is he's hiding his salvation from wise and prudent people. Because if God doesn't let people know who Jesus Christ is, then people can't know that he's the Savior, and hence they really can't turn to him. Well, think about those definitions for a moment. Think about somebody in your life that you've met, however long you've lived, that's been very wise and very intellectual, a very philosophical type person. And think about those people for a second. As, and as you're thinking about them, think what words, what, what characteristical words can we put on those types of people. So think of a very wise person, a very learned person, a very philosophical person, because I've met them. And you know the words that come to mind when I think of those types of people? Prideful, arrogant, self-righteous self people, haughty, you know, haughty, nose in the air, stuck up, I'm better than everybody else, and rude. And those are just some. You, you might even be thinking, well, no, I, there's, there's probably more I can think in there. And, and if I wasn't a Christian, there'd be a lot more words that I could use to describe people like that. But I can't use those words because God forbade me to speak evil. So, you know, that person, oh, look at me. Hello, my name is so-and-so. I'm from Cambridge. I have a master's, don't you know? I have a doctorate in, uh, in you know, this, and I have a this and that, and... Uh, Boy, it would be nice to meet me, wouldn't it? You know that's what they're thinking because they're so wise and they're so prudent. They think, I've got it all covered. A lot of wise people would be like a doctor. 
like a lawyer. Very people, people that have gone to school for 20 years or 10 years or 15 years to get their, you know, to get their degrees and then gone beyond that. Psychiatrists. All these people would be, you know, kind of the wise and learned of our society. You know, hoity-toity type of people. You know, I'm better than you attitude. I, I used to minister uh, with another group by this area here in Dallas. It's uh, called the Shops at Legacy. It's off of Legacy and the Tollway over there in Plano. And we met a lot of those types of people there. That You know, you would just walk up to them and I'm dressed nice because it's Sunday morning and I just got a decent shirt on, but normally I'm in a Christian shirt and I'm in some shorts, okay? So I'd walk up to these people and they would just look at me like, first of all, you don't even have a tie. First of all, you're not even in dress. So before they ever heard a word out of my mouth, they were thinking, this guy is not even the type of caliber person that I would hang out with outside of my work at all. These, these people are the people that I'm, you know, that I'm, I'm counseling or stuff. They're, you know, wow, well, whatever. So this type of person that Jesus is describing here is like that. The apostle, the, what does God's word say about this type of attitude? The, Paul writes, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. These people are very knowledgeable, the wise and prudent, very knowledge, very super intellectual. Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 6, 17, in the section where the writer gives these seven things that God hates. It's the known as the seven things that God hates kind of whole section. And don't you know that the very first thing in that whole section, what God hates the most out of all these seven things is a proud look. Out of all seven, God chose that because the whole word of God is inspired. And there's no coincidence that the very first thing in the seven, thing that, seven things that God hates is a proud look. And that's exactly the person that Jesus is saying that God is hiding salvation from. So why does God hate a prideful and haughty attitude of the heart so much? Because this attitude of the heart makes someone blind and ignorant to their destitute and their desperate, wicked, sinful condition and their need for a Savior. When somebody's prideful, they say, I don't need anybody. The wise and prudent person uh, says, salvation can't be a Jesus. He was just a carpenter. He was just a man. Very wise and prudent people in this world, because they're very wise and prudent. I met a lot of people from Islam. And many Muslims, all Muslims will tell you, oh, he was just a prophet. He couldn't be God. That's pride. I don't need God. I'm righteous because of my good works. I don't need God. You know what? God is a crutch. Stupid and ignorant people need God. I'm good enough. Look at how righteous I am. Look at how holy I am. Jesus describes a prideful and arrogant people when he answers some Pharisees that were scoffing at him in Matthew 9, 12 to 13. So he's answering these scoffing Pharisees. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, wait a minute. Who's well? Who's well? Who's not sick? Because when I read my Bible and I look at the spiritual condition of man, we're all sick. We're not well. None of us are righteous. The Bible says that there's not a person on earth that's righteous. No, not one. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23, we're all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who's righteous and who's a sinner? Nobody's righteous. We're all sinners. But Jesus just said here, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What, is, he, is he confused? No. I didn't come to call those who think that they're righteous to repentance. I've called those who realize I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm destitute. I'm poor, naked, and blind. I got nothing. I'm, I'm done, God. Please, I'm, I'm wicked before you. Because he did not come to call those that believe that they're righteous. Because who's believing that they're righteous? The wise and prudent person believes I'm righteous on my own. Look at all my good works. I'm holy. Look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I'm holy. But like I said, they believe that they're both well and righteous. Now, salvation is hidden from these things. We even have a recording in the first century church in 1 Corinthians 1.26 for Paul's writing to this church again and he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that, that not many wise according to the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble are called. We even have an example in our first century church that Paul's saying, listen, we even see in the church, guys, that there's not even many wise, you could say wise and prudent people, it's the same thing. Not many wise and prudent, not many wise and mighty people were called. Why? Because they can't be called because they don't think that they even need salvation. They don't they think, I'm righteous, I'm good enough. God's going to judge me. Oh, yes, God will judge me, but he'll just look at all the good things that I've done because I'm not dirty, I'm not, a, I'm not a sinner. So not many righteous were even being, or not many... Wise and prudent were even being called in the first century church. So who did Jesus say that God gave, that he was pleased to give salvation to? Right here in verse 25. Uh, that you've hidden them from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. So he's revealed them to babes. So let's look at our last category of people here. He's revealed them to babes. Let's look at what babes mean or babe. The word babe means, it, the word is, the Greek word is, Nephios, and it's defined as an infant, a little child, a minor, not of age, childish, untaught, and unskilled. So in your mind right now, think of a little child. Think of a little baby, a little, a little infant, a little like maybe five or six or seven-year-old child. And think of the words that you would use to describe a little child in your mind. Think of those words. I thought I think I <laughs> I thought of them this week, and the words came to my mind like humble, simple, silly, innocent, kind, and friendly, and sweethearted. Those are the words that I thought of 
when I thought of a babe, when I found out it was like a little one, a little child. I'm a school bus driver. One of the awesome ways that God has given me to provide for my family is he's made me a school bus driver for the city that I, for the city that I work for here in, in the Dallas area. And I see the little I see these little children every day, Monday through Friday. And yes, you know, they can have an evil streak about them because they are still sinners. And after all, we all still sin, so they still sin. Even though they're, you know, may not even be trying to, they still sin. But as a whole, when I look at them, they're so innocent. You could tell them anything. They would just believe you if you told them that the moon was green. Oh, that oh, really sounds funny. They would just believe you if you said anything. And it says here that God longed, that he, he took pleasure, and he was happy to reveal the things of salvation to babes. And do you see why God wants to reveal them to their babes? They're not blinded by their so-called intelligence, their self-righteousness and their pride and their arrogance. They're not blinded by these things. They're innocent. They have an innocent look at life. They don't think evil. They don't think I'm righteous. They don't even think those things. They think pure thoughts. They haven't been tainted by this world's evil. They're just innocent. They're simple. They're simplistic. They're childish. They're fun. Their lives are full of fun and happiness. They have no cares and no worries. So it made God happy to reveal those things to babes. So I hope you see at this point why God is not to blame. He's not to blame because, really, God knows the attitude of someone's heart, whether it is wise or prudent, which would be prideful or arrogant, or babe-like, which would be humble or simple. And he hides it from the wise and prudent because they are not wanting it anyway. They're not wanting it anyway. And if their heart did want it, we'll get to that, we'll get to that part but he doesn't reveal the things of salvation and the things of Jesus to those that are super wise or super prideful. He reveals them to people that are simple and, and just silly. And it's really sad because, again, the wise and prudent, they don't want. They don't think they need and they don't want salvation. They don't want those things. So sad, very sad indeed. So you may be sitting there listening and you may be listening to all this information and you may be saying, well, you know, I guess there's just no hope for a person with this wise and prudent or arrogant and prideful attitude of the heart. Maybe you think that God has just written them off and they're just condemned to hell forever and they're just lost with no hope. I mean, like I said, verse 26, even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight... You could say to do this. So, Ed, Pastor Ed, they're, they're, let's just write them off. Let's just write them off. There's just no hope for them. Let's just only try to focus on those people that we find with, you know, babe-like faith, and then we'll just work on them. We'll just talk to them about Jesus, and we'll just reach out to them. Well, I'm not going to lie. It does look pretty glum for those that are very prideful, arrogant, and learned. And you can't even blame God, really. You can't blame God. If God were to really not give them a choice at all and really just say, well, whatever, you could just say, well, you know, I can't blame you now. And I see, God, why you wouldn't want to save those type of people. I mean, after all, they don't really want salvation anyway. They don't think they need Jesus. You know, God would be without blame. 
And actually, the many wise and prudent, prideful, arrogant people that have already plummeted into hell, even as I speak, some are probably going in there right now. God is not to blame for them going into hell right now. It's not God's fault because God does desire all men to be saved. So we can have this attitude of the heart, and we might as well just write them off. But, believe it or not, we cannot jump into that idea, that belief, just so quick. Because remember, we still have all the Bible to contend with. And all the Bible, all the Bible lines up. We can't just say, well, one thing's right, one thing's wrong. Because more than one thing can be true in, in, in a certain aspect of truth. We can have more than one truth in one truth. Because we still have 1 Timothy 2, 3-4. It's good and acceptable on the side of God our Savior. desires all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of truth. We still have 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. But his long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So hearing these things, it may be hard to believe. But yes, it is true, believe it or not. God does offer... He does offer provision and pardon for the redemption of those that are wise and prudent or arrogant and prideful. Those with the I don't need God attitude. God still provides provision for those types of people to get saved. Remember Paul, 1 Corinthians 1.26, not many wise according to the flesh are called. Well, when you hear that term, not many, what does that tell you? Well, there were not many, but there were still some. The not many mean, he could have said, not one wise and mighty, or not one wise and prudent person got saved. He didn't say that. He said, not many, which means there were still some. So if you want to go to Matthew 18, 1 through 4, I want to look at the provision for the wise and the prudent person. Matthew chapter 18, it would be a forward about seven chapters, one through four. The Bible says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as, a, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? Pretty much for everybody on the face of the planet, Jesus just said, unless you be converted and become as a little child, become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. He goes on, verse 4, therefore, whoever, I like those words, whoever and all and everyone, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, maybe, just maybe, Jesus was talking about and talking to just his disciples here. Maybe, he, because, you know, after all, his disciples did come to him. But you see, there's a problem, like I said earlier. I'm a firm believer that the word all means all. That the word everyone means everyone. And the word whoever means whoever, people. I'm not saying that that's a select group, ladies and gentlemen. Whoever means whoever. Everyone means everyone. All means all. 
doesn't mean all of a certain group of people. doesn't mean whoever of, a, you know, well, only, only these five people here. It means whoever. It means everyone. And verse 4, but who means whoever here? Jesus said, whoever humbles himself to be as these little children. Who is whoever, but everyone. Absolutely everyone. So he's saying there, look at the love of Christ. Unless you, anybody, are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And then therefore, whoever humbles himself, look at the love of Christ. Because we would say easily, and I know I've been guilty of it in the past because I'm, I'm a street evangelist. That's how God started me in the ministry many, many, many years ago, almost 14 years ago, just street evangelizing people. I know it would, I would love it. It'd be easy to say, oh, the wise and the prudent, oh, get them out of here. That's why I'm glad God's going to send them to hell because if you've ever talked to them, I had a guy on Friday night, two guys, in fact. I walked up to the guy and I said, hey, man, you mind if I talk to you about Jesus Christ today? And he said, Get away from me. He didn't ask nicely. He didn't say, oh, you know, you know what, I'm really not interested. He said, get away from me. How about that pride? How about that arrogance? So I did, of course. I said something and then I walked off. I told him that God loves him and wanted to save him. And he said, what, well, you know, and he made some comment and, you know, I pushed on. So who is everyone but anyone? But wait a minute. Let's read verse 27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. <laughs> Excuse me, back up a verse. Verse 26, even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight to do this. Jesus just said that God made that decision to hide salvation from the wise and prudent. That means it doesn't matter the love of Christ then. We could say then the love of Christ, he has to be obedient, he has to do what the Father says to do. And the Father said it seemed good in his sight to hide these things of salvation from the wise and prudent. So that really means that Jesus really doesn't have a say, does he then? We have to assume that, right? Unless, here's how I got a little ahead of myself, read verse 27. He goes on to say in Matthew eleven twenty seven, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So here we go back to those words, all and everyone and whoever. And what did Jesus say? All things have been delivered to me by my Father. So what are all things? Yes. That includes everything. And what would everything include? Yes, everything will include salvation. Everything. And then Jesus goes on to say, notice it's really easy to miss if you're not looking. No one knows the Son but the Father, true. And no one knows the Father except the Son and the one that the Son wills to reveal him. So Jesus can indeed reveal salvation to somebody if he wants to. Wow. Because all things were delivered into his hands. In closing, what attitude of the heart do you have today? 
Examine yourself, the Bible says. What attitude of the heart do you have today? Do you have a babe or humble, simple attitude of the heart? Or do you have a wise, more prudent, prideful, or arrogant attitude of the heart? Are you a babe? That means... You've been converted, as Jesus just said. You have become as a little child in your faith, and you trust in God. Definition of conversion? Change in character or, for, or function. That means you surrendered your old life to Christ, and you started to live a new life for God. A life of staying away from sin and the things of sin, and living for righteousness. This means you have a love for God like a young child's love for his daddy. Daily you work on obeying your father's commands and growing closer to him in your relationship, listening to him and both not only listening but talking to him having conversation with him. You're obedient to God. Your life is becoming more and more and more about Jesus Christ because he, after all, was God's provision for your salvation. And if that's you, praise be to God. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep trusting in living for loving and serving your great heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Your reward for you will be great. Jesus said, all those that endure to the end shall be saved. If you don't endure to the end, then you won't be saved. That's what He just said. So if you are a little child and your life's been converted, you've surrendered to Christ, you've become a babe, as Jesus said in Timothy there. If you, or I'm sorry, as Jesus said in Matthew 18 there, if you've become a babe, then continue to stay humble. Continue to love and serve your almighty God and the almighty Son, Jesus Christ. And continue in the faith, believing and trusting as a little child. And as God just showed me while I was mowing my grass yesterday, this is awesome. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, have childlike faith. Just the innocent faith of a little child. Just trusting and knowing that God is in complete control and not worrying. And when you pray, know that he's two inches from your face childlike faith knowing that your daddy is sitting right there next to you praise be to god Amen. now if you haven't been converted and you know you're sitting out there and you're listening and say well pastor i i, I don't know i i don't know I, I i it doesn't sound like it now after i hear you today and you still have a wise and prudent prideful attitude of the heart You've not had a change in your character, form, or function. You may have a belief in Christ Jesus and God, but you still are the same old person that you were before you had a belief in Jesus. 
Your behaviors haven't changed. You really don't even know, notice anything different about yourself. You're not clinging to the Word of God. You're not even spending any time in, with, in prayer in God. You know, you, you don't really go to church, and this just happened to be something you come along. And you don't really live your whole life for Christ in God. You are growing in your relationship with your Heavenly Father every day. Committing sin, yeah, it may bother you, you know, a little bit. Nah, you know, I probably shouldn't do that. But, you know, you don't really want to change, and so you don't even stop. You just keep on committing sin. Go back to what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Unless you be converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said it, not me. Don't get angry with me. I'm just the messenger. Unless you be converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That means if you're not converted, you won't go to heaven. You'll go to hell. And according to today's scripture, if you're wise and prudent and prideful, it looks pretty grim for you. But according to the love of Christ, according to how much he loves mankind, his person, the one that he made, because the devil can't make anybody, only God Almighty can fashion somebody in somebody's womb. It ain't the devil that gave man power to do that. So we're all made by God. And according to the love of Christ for you, there's still hope. There's only one remedy for the prideful attitude of your heart. And what is it? The remedy, the hope, the answer. How simple is this? Proverbs 3, 34. Surely he scorns the scornful. <laughs> Ironically, it lines right up to what, exactly what Jesus said today. You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent. God will scorn you if you're scornful. He will scorn you if you're prideful. But he gives grace to the humble. Remember, it gives him pleasure to give salvation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ to the babe. Isn't that something? And 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And how do we do this according to God's way? Our real close, my most favorite passage of Scripture that I've ever read in the whole Bible. Go to Bible, Matthew 11, 28, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Translation. Really simple translation. God gave me a very simple way to look at these last three verses. Verse 29. Realize or get a clue that you're not as smart and learned as you think. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 28, admit that you're wrong. Admit and realize I am being prideful. By coming to Christ, 
and surrendering to him and stop trying to live and labor or work your way to salvation by your self-righteousness. And if you do that, he'll give you rest. Realize, verse 29, that you're not as smart as you think you are. Look at what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. After God showed this to me just the other day, because I work on my message every single day, and I never saw this here because I almost taught these, these six verses in two different weeks. But God showed this to me, especially for the wise and learned. He even shows his provision right here in verse 29, because look what he did here. He said, God hid salvation from the wise and prudent or learned or philosophical, I got all the answers. And it's no wonder Jesus said in 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Because they're learned, get it? And if that's you and I'm talking to you and you're learned, Jesus says, unlearn what you think you know. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Come and learn from me. Put away your worldly wisdom that you think I'm so smart and come and learn from me. Awesome. While you unlearn your so-called intelligent ways. Wow. And put your trust in the sacrifice of Christ Jesus that God gave for your sins because he paid the price for your sins already by sending Christ Jesus to die on the cross in your place where you deserved to be. So wise and prudent people that are out there that are listening, please know there is no hope for you unless you realize I'm not as smart as I think I am. And I know nothing because I don't fear the Lord. And I need to come and I need to surrender to Jesus Christ. And I need to start learning from him. And once you do that, and once you surrender, Jesus said on the cross right before he was about to die, it is finished. And then your salvation can be finished. Because you can't save yourselves. Wise and prudent, prideful and learned. You can't save yourself. Your only hope, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Turn now to Christ and away from your prideful attitude of your heart and be converted as a little child and start becoming as a little child. It doesn't happen in one day. I've been a Christian almost 14 years and it's still happening to me to this day. I'm still having to become as a little child in areas of my life that God shows me. But it's an ongoing process and become a work for God. But he's reaching out to you right now, especially if you're hearing this. And you think, well, you know, that is me. And you know, I really haven't had a change in my life. There's still provision for you. Even though you have a prideful attitude of your heart, even though you're, you have this wise and prudent way about you, there's still hope. Christ still wants to save you. The question is, are you willing to do what it takes to receive it? Please surrender to him now before it's too late. 
and cry out to him before you breathe your last breath. Because most assuredly, as you live, you will die. And the moment you die and you close your eyes, your heart will stop. You will close your eyes and the blackness will come in. And the next thing you'll see is the judgment seat of Christ. Where you'll stand before God where every book will be open. And every sin that you've ever committed will be standing there right in you in the face and you'll have to pay for them. But unfortunately, your punishment will be everlasting flames in the torments of hell forever. When all you had to do was come to Christ and be converted as a little child and surrender to Him. Please consider, because God loves you and He's reaching out to you right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your love that you even offer the provision of salvation to those that are prideful and arrogant, Lord, just like those guys that I met on the street on Friday night. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you even offer salvation to them. And thank you, Lord God, really, because there's none righteous, Lord. There's none righteous. And we're all sinners. Thank you that you've given provision and you've given salvation to all mankind. All any of us have to do is turn to Christ and surrender to Him and start learning from Him and unlearn our own ways. If we're just willing, dear Jesus, if we're just willing, I pray, dear God, for all those that heard this message, Lord, if they're not right in you, I pray, dear God, that the love of Christ would draw them to the cross. To see your love, Lord God, would draw them to the cross and they would stop wanting to do it all on their own and they'd turn to you. And I pray for those that are yours that have heard me. I pray that we would continue, Lord God, allowing you to convert us, that we continue fighting the good fight of faith. We continue dying to ourselves daily and surrendering to you as Lord in our lives. I love you, Lord, and I praise you. And I ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today, as one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.